0: Well again welcome everyone and uh, especially to our visitors today and also Helen it's great to see you and great to uh, see you here celebrate your birthday today and given what you've been through uh, that's tremendous isn't it and praise God that the, the infection has, has gone. We, pray, we just pray that that will continue to be. All right we're continuing on today um, to look at something called belief blockers uh, these are uh, issues uh, addressed or, or have come up through research into Australian contemporary culture, the uh, objections or issues that people have with um, really having confidence in the Christian message and the Christian faith. So in other words, these are things that really stop people from even thinking about the core of the message. We think people are asking about Jesus, but oftentimes they're asking questions before you get to Jesus, okay? So... Some of these belief blockers, we've looked at them over the recent weeks, um, (coughs) and we're going to have another look at one today, and it's this one. Is the Christian claim to exclusive truth unreasonable, judgmental, and intolerant? That's the question, because in a lot of people's minds, that is truthful for them. They say, yes, the Christian claim (coughs) to exclusive truth is unreasonable, it's intolerant, and you're being judgmental. And believing that your particular faith has a corner on God can lead to very heated arguments and persecution and even wars have been started. So anyone cl- who claims to have exclusive faith and exclusive truth has been seen to be ignorant and intolerant and to undermine is the sort of social cohesion of society, this idea that we've all got to get on and therefore anything that might divide us is bad and so... This idea that uh, anyone claims exclusive faith, exclusive truth um, is seen to undermine that. And Christians actually believe in exclusive faith, and exclusive truth. The idea that there's one way to God and there's one way to knowing God. So we actually do believe that. We claim that uh, as Christians that there is just one way to know God. It's a trust in Jesus. That only trusting in Jesus will give us or a person a right relationship with God. So we, we, we do, I guess... Have to say, we uh, believe in exclusive truth, and in in an increasingly uh, pluralistic society in which we live in, the idea of absolute truth is out of vogue, and the exclusivity of the Christian claim is confronting to a lot of people. So we're going to need to ask ourselves again: Are the exclusive claims of Christianity unreasonable, judgmental, and intolerant? I want to start by just looking at how people think about religion in a pluralistic society. So in order to promote harmony, many people today subscribe to the idea that all religions are different but equally valid ways to God. You've probably heard that as you've talked to people. Does this view of religion actually work? Uh, Are all religions merely different paths that are heading in the same direction? Is that really... Does it really work, that view? There's a couple of analogies or illustrations that people will often use to sort of uh, support this idea that all religions are different but equal paths, equally valid paths to God. And there's a story from a Hindu background (coughs) which is often used to describe truth. Uh, There's an elephant and there's a number of blind scribes who are describing the elephant by feeling the elephant. So one blind scribe feels the ear of the elephant and says, "Ah, oh, it's a papyrus leaf. Another one is feeling the trunk of the elephant and says, no, 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 it's a snake and it's squeezing me. Another one says, no, no, it's not that. It's, you know, and I'm feeling the, 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 the tail and saying, no, no, it's a rope. And uh, so uh, the person who's telling the story then sort of says, don't you see... One person thought it was a papyrus leaf. Another person thought it was a snake. Another person thought it was a piece of rope. But really, you're all describing an elephant. And then they go on to say, don't you see that all these different philosophies and different religions, different faiths, worldviews if you just take a step back, you'll realise that they're all speaking about the same reality, the same truth. You've probably heard that sort of argument. And the other one is called the mountain path analogy. And... uh, uh, I couldn't find on Google one that I really... I wanted to find a mountain with all these paths going down, so I couldn't find it, so I went back to the old this is, this is the snowfields at Perisher. And uh, actually, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't quite work if you think about it from a skiing point of view, because the idea as a skier or a snowboarder is to, um, is to start at the top and go the many paths down to the bottom. You know, how many different ways can we get down, ideally in one piece... I don't think Matt's here this morning, is he, Matt uh, Bodman? But I was going to have a go at it. No. Uh, I've got stories of my own about face planting and getting down the bottom of that. But the idea of this analogy is that um, God resides at the top of a steep mountain, okay? And uh, at the base of the mountain, there are individuals and they're trying to get to God by taking different paths. Some paths are winding, others take a more direct route. But eventually all converge at the top of the mountain where God is. And the mistake that travellers make, so the analogy goes, is to become too overly attached to one path. And uh, they start believing that their path is the best way or the only way to the top of the mountain, to, uh, to God. Uh, but they really need to step back and realise that all paths are equally valid and converge at the top of the mountain. Well... Let's have a look at that analogy. Um, What are the strengths and weaknesses of something like that? If you're trying to present your faith in a context to someone um, in your workplace, how would you go about affirming that or pointing out the weaknesses? Um, Well, maybe you could affirm that this uh, acknowledges a diversity of religions and a diversity of faiths and that there are sincere people who are travelling on each of those paths. Um, and so that there are people who are sincerely seeking to know the truth, seeking to work out the big questions of life and seeking after God. So maybe we could affirm that. Um, but there are weaknesses, I think, and there are two, two weaknesses I really want to look at this morning with this idea. The first one is that the analogy fails to take seriously the claims made by religious leaders. Uh, think about Muhammad and Islam. If you were to talk to Muhammad, you'd have to go back a long way, way back, before Lindsay and everybody, and (laughs) you talk to to Muhammad, what would he say? Would he say, yes, it's okay, Islam's just one path to God, we're just on it, that's okay? I I don't think so. He taught his followers that the angel Gabriel appeared to him in visions and gave him Allah's final revelation, final and definitive communication to to humans. Um, The central belief of Islam is that salvation is found in surrendering to Allah, and adherence to the five pillars of Islam, and then hoping that God, that Allah will be merciful on the day of judgment. And so Muhammad would scoff at the idea that Islam is just merely one path to God. So certainly if you're a Muslim, you certainly wouldn't hold up that analogy as being valid at all. Uh, what about uh, Jesus? Well, Jesus was adamant that he was the true path to God. On one occasion he said to his followers... That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one, that a person could not come to God except through him. We'll have a look at that verse a bit later. So, Jesus would definitely disagree with this analogy. Advocates of this analogy would say, well, Jesus just meant that he was one way to God and that he was just the truth to some people. But I think any, not even a deep reading of the Word of God would. Reveal that Jesus would strenuously disagree with that assertion. Um, Not all faiths would have a problem with this particular analogy. For instance, followers of uh, Hinduism or the Baha'i faith would uh, agree with the basic premise that you can include all truth, uh, all faiths, all truth can be blended together and coexist even if um, they're opposing beliefs. But the only way for that analogy then to work is to radically alter the claims of Muhammad and Jesus to fit within that uh, view or or Hindu view or Baha'i view of religion. So I think there's some problems with the analogy to explain uh, this underlying pluralistic view of society. The other weakness I think is it fails to deal with glaring contradictions between religions now, any serious study of, the, of religions and faiths in the world today will quickly reveal that they differ markedly on very key and core issues, such as what is the purpose of life? That's pretty core, I would have thought. Why is there so much suffering? What separates us from God? What is God like? These are things that uh, religions differ on. They contradict each other. Different religions make different claims about the truth. For example, Islam... Judaism and Christianity hold very different views. So you'd say, well, they all believe in one God, but they hold very different views when it comes to who Jesus is. Uh, They have different views on morality, history, the character of God. Um, Just to highlight, I think, some of the problems with the analogy of this mountain path analogy, just think about this. Who awaits you at the top of the mountain? Uh, For Buddhists, no one does. Because Buddhists, generally speaking, do not believe in a god or a deity. Hindus. What do Hindus expect when they get to the top of the mountain? Anyone know about Hinduism? Hundreds, actually millions, millions and millions of gods and goddesses at the top of the mountain. So, I, this is—you just think it through. Does this analogy actually hold any water? What about uh, for Muslims? Well, only one God awaits at the top. And the idea, the claim that there's more than one God, let alone millions of gods, um, violates the the greatest conviction of of a Muslim because they believe that Allah is one. So for Jews, what do they expect? They expect God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Moses and the children of Israel. That's who they expect at the top of the mountain. What about Christians? Well, Christians uh, believe in one God, but the... The unity of that one, within the unity of that one God, there are three persons coexisting and co eternal God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So if these different views of God cannot be reconciled, then does the mountain path analogy really work? I think there are many different faiths and many different religions. We should take those differences seriously and then ask which one is true. They can't all be right, like they say different things, they lead in different directions. If something is, tru- is truly true, then it means that something else is false. Os Guinness, an o- author and social c- critic, he said this People don't believe in truth. Everything is relatively true. But of course, you can't fly an aeroplane at 30,000 feet on that sort of postmodern nonsense. Just ask Dan's here today, you can ask about that. Truth matters, he said. I think that's true, isn't it? So, let's sort of now think about exclusive claims. Is it just Christians who make exclusive claims? And the answer is no. No, that's not true. That's what people might put to us, that you Christians are just have an exclusive, you you know, you think you've got an exclusive claim on this truth. But let's just think about that and uh, how we would answer that. Because every believer in every faith asserts that what he or she believes is true. Take an atheist. Now, an atheist atheists are a minority in the world. You wouldn't know that if you look at ABC television, but they are. They're a noisy minority, mind you, but nevertheless a minority in the world. And what do they They believe that they're right and everyone else is wrong. Is that true? And they're very passionate about it, often more passionate than we Christians are about our faith. See, everybody makes exclusive claims, not just Christians. The argument that Christianity is wrong because wrong to make exclusive claims is in fact itself an exclusive claim. Michelle Tepper, a lecturer in Christian Apologetics, says Every single major world religion, even atheism, which is a lack of religion, is exclusive. If you're an atheist, then you're excluding those that have faith. If you're a universalist and say all roads lead the same way, then you're excluding those who believe they have a way to God whether it's a Muslim person, Jewish person or a Christian person. Michael Ramsden was, is a director of the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. He tells a story of how he, after he became a Christian, just after he met a, a, a Baha'i leader. And uh, they got talking about religion and faith and the Baha'i leader said to him, well, you know, we, we, we accept everybody. We accept all faiths. And Michael said to him, well, <coughs> what about someone who claims as only one way to God, would you accept that? He said, oh, no, 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 we, we, we couldn't accept that. And he said, well, y- you're excluding me. And he goes on to say, if you say there's one way to God, then you're saying that those who believe there are some ways to God or those who, be- who say that all uh, roads lead to God are wrong. If you say that some paths lead to God because you're not sure that, say, Hitler had a very good path to God, then you are saying that those who believe in one path to God are wrong and those who believe in all ways leading to God are wrong. So, in fact, Christianity, it's not just Christianity that makes exclusive claims about truth and about the way to God. But does that make those who claim exclusive truth and the an exclusive way to God, does it necessarily follow that Christians, say, are intolerant and bigoted? So that's the next question to think about. And I think it, think it in the context of now you're engaging with people out there in the workplace, in the community, in the neighbourhood who've got these questions, who've got these views. Many of them do. Tolerance is not a lazy, uh, intellectually sloppy acceptance of every philosophy and worldview and faith and religion. Rather, it's about respecting, engaging and treating people with compassion even if they... Oppose you, even if they disagree with you. It's not intolerant per se to believe in one truth. Okay? Come back to the illustration. In fact, it's the opposite. And I want to come back to the illustration of the elephant again. Remember that? One, One blind scribe is saying it's a papyrus leaf, another saying it's a snake, another a rope. But the person telling the story says, it was all the elephant. They make the point then, don't you see that all these different philosophies and faiths and worldviews, if you just take a step back, you will see that they are talking about the same thing, the same reality. But couldn't that statement also be seen to be arrogant? Because if you say that all these faiths really all point to the one reality, in the end they all converge, where do you place yourself? From what vantage point can you say that? You're really saying, you all are blind. Muhammad was blind. Jesus was blind. Buddha, blind. But I, I can see the elephant. Isn't that an arrogant claim in itself? Or could be seen to be that way? Because you're placing yourself at a vantage point beyond or above. Take the uh, mountain path analogy again. With all these paths leading up the mountain. Michael Ramston again, he says... How do you know all paths lead to the summit? He was actually talking to a guy, um, he's, he's taking a, a lecture or something, and uh, w- a young guy said, You know, well, really all, all religions are like paths up a mountain, you know, they, they all converge and they all seek the same reality, God, in the end. So he said to this young guy, Well, how do you, how, how, um, do you, do you, do you go mountain climbing? And the young guy said, Yeah, oh yeah, I do actually. He said, So how would you know? that all paths lead to the top of the mountain. Where would you have to be? Uh, would you have to be at the top of the mountain? And the guy thought about it and he said, well, actually, you'd probably have to be above the top of the mountain to be able to see all the, that all the paths lead to the top of the mountain. And so Michael Ramson said to him, well, w- if you're claiming that, where are you putting yourself? Are you you're putting yourself in the place of God? Are you putting yourself above God? to be able to claim that this is true. But he went on to say, but if if God somehow made himself known to us and said, this is the path, well, surely we can trust that. But for us to say that all paths lead to God, on what basis can we say that's true? And he goes on to say, the trouble with these illustrations is that they sound so humble. All paths lead to the top, so, so gracious and humble. But when you say, well, who are you claiming to be to be able to make that claim? then you really are deifying yourself. You're putting yourself in the place of God to be able to claim that. But somehow Christians are thought to be judgmental and arrogant and intolerant. You see, just because you're confident that something is true doesn't necessarily mean you're arrogant or judgmental. It can do, of course. But it shouldn't, should it? Tolerance is is not about having no convictions at all, uh, but it is about how we engage with those convictions with the people in our society, with the people in our community. It's about respecting, engaging and treating with compassion those who disagree with you. So it's not wrong to have convictions and be convicted about that we have an understanding of what God says is the path to God. In fact, being a follower of Christ should mean that we don't come across harsh and judgmental. It should mean that because if, if we are coming across harsh and judgmental, then how can we say we are followers of Jesus Christ? who said that we should love even our enemies, whose life was a display of grace and love and compassion to those with whom he met. So if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, as we engage with people, even though we are convicted about the truth, surely we should be uh, people who display love and compassion and grace toward those who may not even agree with us, may violently disagree with us. We should treat them just as we treat others. Uh, one of the things I love about the CAP philosophy, Christians Against Poverty, is that w- we're not to make any judgments. We walk into a home and if people say, I know you're Christians but I don't want to hear that stuff, <laughs> does that matter? Do you, will you still help me? And we say yes. Our help is not dependent upon whether you want to listen to what I have to say. Because part of the Christian message is not just proclamation but it's deed, it's life, it's living, it's, it, my life should be on display, the things that I do. It was Francis of Assisi said, um, by all means, you know, preach the gospel, if necessary use words. And I think there's a, great, there's a truth to that. We can go the other way and say, oh, it's just my life, you know. You know, my neighbours see me go to church. That's sort of enough. No, it's not, because the gospel is about proclamation as well. And we need to get out of our comfort zones and somehow engage in this marketplace of religions and ideas and philosophies. I'm going to suggest there's a different um, analogy that we could use that I think better um, helps us to understand and to be able to engage with people. And this is the analogy of a maze. So here, instead of viewing religions as paths leading up a mountain, the maze views religions as different paths, heading in different directions. So when you enter the maze, okay, you're faced with a choice. Which path should you take? You're a serious seeker of God. Which path should you take? The goal is to reach the centre of the maze, but which path will take you there? Some routes will quickly lead to a dead end. <coughs> Other routes will go take you deep into the maze before they hit a, a dead end. Uh, some paths run parallel to each other for a, for a while until one hits the wall. The challenge is to find the one path that leads you to the final destination to knowing God. Um, I think this analogy is better for a few reasons. One, it, it, it places a value on exploration and discovery. So it says, you know, it takes seriously the person who is serious about seeking after God. As serious seekers of God, we, we should look Thoughtfully at what faiths, other faiths, particular faiths say about God, about the world, about humanity, about how we can stand before God, a holy God. And then we should compare and contrast them and make up our minds. Which one is the truth? So I think the maze helps us to understand that. It also acknowledges the contradictory views of religions. So various uh, you know, religions uh, take you on completely different directions when it comes to their understanding of what the truth is. They differ, they have wildly uh, conflicting and contradictory views about religion. Um, And so some of the choices as you come into the maze will take you in completely opposite directions. So I think it gives justice to that pluralistic society and views that we have in society. It doesn't all say that they all lead the same way because that defies logic. They're contradictory. They're contrasting views. Uh, The other thing I think this, this analogy does is that affirm certain things in other religions. Now, there's something sometimes we feel uncomfortable with that. Can we really affirm any truth outside of the Christian faith? We wrestle with that. You see, at times, the the paths will run in parallel. Uh, For instance, the Muslim, Jewish and Christian roots uh, run parallel to each other in their belief that there's one God. But then they begin to diverge when you start to analyse just the character of God because they have completely different views God. Hinduism and Buddhism run parallel for a certain way in relation to their belief in the laws of karma and, and uh, reincarnation. I think as Christians we shouldn't make the arrogant claim that other religions and philosophies don't have any truth in them. We say that Jesus is the only truth, the ultimate truth, but as we, as we witness to others, we should find common ground to affirm what we can affirm with people who have different views and different beliefs than us. And there are good and true and wonderful things in other philosophies and other world religions. And uh, we, we may not feel comfortable with that, but I think we need to find common ground where we can. You see, the Bible doesn't say there's no truth and no wisdom in other philosophies. In First uh, Kings chapter 4, we read that God gave Solomon great wisdom, great knowledge, great understanding, And what does it say there? It says that exceeded the wisdom and the understanding of the wise men of the East and the wise men of Egypt and other wise men around the world. It wasn't that the others had no wisdom and the others had no understanding. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he stands on Mars Hill and he addresses the Greek philosophers, he quotes from their own philosophers, their own uh, people, the pagan philosophers. Uh, you might see in Buddhism this is wonderful sense of seeking after peace. You may not agree with the, with the way or the answers, but uh, you might you might um, find something wonderful about the fact that Buddha sought after um, uh, you know, answers to great questions about suffering in the world. We, we may not agree with his answers, but surely we can appreciate his questions. And there are many different. Religions that espouse great ideals of morality and ethics that I think we can learn from, at least affirm, in the lives of those that we are trying to reach. And I think as we do this, as we affirm what we can affirm in the lives of others, we're building bridges. We're finding uh, that we're we're creating relationships. We're looking at what we have in common. What what common ground can we have? And I think that's the approach that the Apostle Paul took. If He was speaking to a Jew. He thought like a Jew. He, He lived like a Jew. You know, he embraced it. If he was speaking to the Gentiles, he he did he lived as a Gentile. Not to break God's laws or anything like that, but just to to ensure that he's got common ground. And so through common ground, then he builds this relationship and he builds on top of that. And so when we build relationships, we can then lift above that to the wonderful ultimate truth in Jesus Christ. We listen to others, we learn from others. We listen to what they believe in. We ask them what they think about the big questions of life, about suffering and about evil and about death and about life after death. And as we're listening to those questions and as we give those answers, we can compare and contrast what we believe. And then ultimately we point them to the wonderful truth, the ultimate truth in Jesus Christ, who he is and why he is our hope. And the maze analogy, I think, does justice to that approach. But ultimately, using this maze. analogy, analogy, we will come to the point of defending the position that only one path ultimately leads to God, that there is exclusive truth, that there is an exclusive way and I just want to spend a few minutes now just to touch on that. Um, So why do Christians say there's just one way? Well in many ways it is based on the very claim of Jesus himself. John chapter 14, verse 6, this is what he said I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's the basis for the exclusive claim that Christians make that there is one path to knowing God, there is one path to a right standing before God, and it is Jesus Christ. God stepped into our world as a person of Jesus Christ, he became truly human. But he never ceased to be, stop becoming being God. He, he not only came to be our guide, but he came to be the, the, the guide to show us the way, but he came to be the way. He is the way. He's exclusive way to a relationship with the living God. So what is unique about the Christian faith? What would you say is unique about the Christian faith? Well, I think it's firstly this, the incarnation. This fact that God became human. And dwelt among us in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can connect with. He takes our humanity so that we might become adopted as sons and daughters of God. There's something, this is something beyond what other religions talk about. The incarnation. The idea of a holy God is common to other religions. Yeah, But I think what is unique about the Christian message is that this holy God loves sinful people. I don't think quite get that sense in some of the other religions. But we say that no, God is a loving God. Though he's holy, yet he loves us. He loves sinful people. And though I'm a sinner, God will still love me. He still wants me. He still wants to connect with me. He has patience with me. Because Jesus himself is the perfect path to God. That Jesus himself is the sacrifice for our sins. That he was buried and he rose again from the dead. And now he's our priest before God. He's the one who mediates between sinful humanity and a holy God and offers us this peace and forgiveness, he's the pathway to God. He is the way to God. So in closing, I just, I just want to say something that I think is really unique to the Christian message, and that's grace. Grace, the grace of God. You now, Many religions will tell us how we can hopefully access and earn God's forgiveness, earn his love, earn his acceptance, but the message of Jesus is that there is no way to earn God's love and to earn God's favour. There's no way. We cannot earn it in our own right. But we just have to accept his forgiveness and love that he's already offered because Jesus paid the price. Um, Bono. You know Bono? U2? You you, anyone listen to U2 music? Any uh, your old brothers are wondering... What you're talking about, aren't you? U2, you Bono. Um, some amazing statements come from unlikely places. Bono is a lead singer for U2. And this is, he explained what drew him to Christ. And it was the idea that the law of karma could be counteracted by grace. This is what he said. It's really good. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us. You see the contrast with karma. That our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death that it deserves. Great statement about faith, about grace, isn't it? Uh, he says some great things. Um, many religions teach about me chasing after God. This is not his statement. I'm just saying, came across it somewhere else. I don't know who said it. Many religions teach me teach about me chasing after God, but the Christi- Christian message is about God chasing after me. Yeah. Let me say that again. Many religions teach about me chasing after God. Christian message is about God relentlessly pursuing me and you that's the grace of God and I don't know whether you know Jesus as the way as your Lord as your Savior maybe God is touching your life today maybe you're seeking and you're searching to know the truth will you believe the message of Jesus will you just accept Jesus today as the way to God And as we're about to pray, as we pray, maybe you could pray in the presence of God. Something like this. Lord, I'm sorry I rejected you. I'm sorry for turning away from you and living a selfish life. I'm sorry for the sin and evil in my life. I'm sorry for going my way, living my life my way. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to rescue me. Please forgive me and change me. Take over the running of my life now and forevermore. Something like that in the presence of God. Just come and acknowledge that Jesus is the way to God. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for this amazing plan of salvation, this amazing way that we uh, believe absolutely is the only way to know you and to be in your presence, to have a standing before you, even though we look at ourselves and we see that we're sinful people and that you are a holy God, yet in Christ we stand accepted, forgiven. Father, we just thank you. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, just pray that you'll touch them with your love and your grace. Touch them with the wonderful message that Jesus is the way. He said, I am the way. There is no other way. No one comes to the Father except through me. May we all just bask in that truth today and enjoy it and lift up our hearts in worship and thankfulness as we think about it as we reflect about it today help us father to go into this world in which we live and engage in this world that thinks there's many ways help us to by your grace and by the love of christ be that witness to the one and living truth that jesus is the only way to a relationship with you the living god thank you father bless us as your people equip us encourage us Empower us by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to live for you, to be the people you want us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.